right, we have a treat today. All month we have some wonderful speakers coming. But uh, for those of you who have been here in Calamesa for a little while, you know Saul. And Saul is somewhere in here. Where's Saul? There he is, way over there. Made me a little nervous for a second. He was here first service, and he was sitting over here. But I knew he would be here. I, I, I got up here by faith. And, uh, but Saul was a pastor here on staff for, uh, for a few years. And um, unfortunately, about five years ago, we had to let Saul go with our blessing. Uh, and he received the opportunity to serve as a chaplain at the Children's Hospital at Loma Linda University Medical Center. And... Um, so we praise God for your life and ministry with us, but also now in the lives of families in such critical conditions and life stages. So we know God has called you to a special purpose. And um, he said he's brought uh, fish tacos for everybody today, right? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm lying. But, but we do have uh, haystacks. Uh, no fish, but haystacks. And uh, Saul, uh, your wife is here today too. Susie's over there. Hi, Susie. And your two-and-a-half-year-old son, Mateo. Can you believe he's two-and-a-half years old? My goodness. Hey, he waved. Hey, buddy. <laughs> um, we're just so blessed to have you here. Thanks for coming. And uh, let's welcome Saul today. Sweet. Yeah, give it up to the guys on the top. Yeah. Man, sometimes like you hear a noise and then you're like, ah, oh, you look in the back. Those four guys, they're always volunteering, coming early, but they're the ones who make things happen. They just help out with worship. Um, man, it's 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 uh it's so good, it's so good to be here. Um, we already worshiped the early. And now we are about to worship again. Um, you know, uh, since everybody's here and everybody's awake, I need you to turn to the person next to you and tell him, I love haystacks. <laughs> and also tell him, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, you can tell him. I know you're here for the haystacks, but just tell him, I'm glad you're here. I don't hear you. I'm glad you're here. All right. All right. In a serious note, I, we are actually honored to be here. We are glad we, we spent a couple years with you. Um, some of you, uh, you know, have moved on to other things. And um, this week I was just thinking about the memories we share with you. And uh, I came, uh, man, I, I started thinking about the, the first time we went camping to Dead Valley. Yeah. 
You know, we have uh, Mr. Raul right there. Uh, he's really persistent. That's why he's good at what he does. Uh, and he just convinced everybody. It seems like everyone in the church wanted to go on that trip. And it was open for the young families, but Pastor Isaac opened it up for the young adults. So we, we just kind of tag along, and we were ready to go. And then on Friday, I, I remember Friday, um, my wife told me, it's like, you know what, I, I'm not going to be able to get out as early as we expected. She was going through her residency program, and if you've been through that or you know someone who is going or who's gone through that, you know that you live in borrowed time. You know, you don't have the flexibility to do as you please. And so she said, you know, why don't you just go with the young adults, and uh, we'll just catch up on Sunday when you get back. I said, no, no, this is the event of the year. According to Raul, this is, this is, this is the happening place. We got to be there. And so, and so I, I talked to the young adults. I said, you know what, just drive out there. You guys are really responsible. Uh, we'll make it. Eventually, we'll make it. Everybody was cool, and then we had Nathan, Nathan Blue. Some of you know him, uh, good guy. And uh, he, he said, Saul, why don't you give us your camping gear, your tent, sleeping bag, and we'll take it for you, and we'll set it up, you know, that way you don't worry about it. I said, no, Nathan, man, that, that, I, no, you don't have to do that. Again, this guy's an outdoor guy, and so he loves to do these things. I, I'm, I'm usually really bad. I have to follow instructions, look at Wikipedia, YouTube, just to open my sleeping bag, and I mean, this guy wanted to put my tent together. He, he was just like really insisting that he would do this, and I said, well, all right, all right, Nathan, uh, we'll be there in a couple hours anyway, so we'll cut up, don't worry about it, I'll help you out, or you can help me out, and, and we'll go from there. Well, to make the story short, um, yeah, my wife got out really late, <laughs> and I was, I was a little frustrated, I was hungry, so I said, you know, let's go to Kuka's, and just get a burrito, and then drive four or five hours, and we'll see when, we, when we're going to make it. So we started driving on our own, and it's just dark. There's nothing out there. And as we are getting to the town where we are supposed to make a turn, uh, we get to Baker's. Yeah, there's a little town called Baker's. And then uh, I just did not see it. I just kept driving. And, and the next thing, I see announcements like Vegas and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, no, I'm missing out. You know, everybody's eating haystacks back at, back at camp. They're just singing, worshiping, and fellowshipping. And, I, and I'm on the road going to Vegas <laughs> on Friday night. <laughs> For Saturday night, it would be a different story. But anyway, we turn around. We're coming back. We finally got the one, I think it's a, it's a 127 North. Is that what it is, Raul? We still remember? Just put it. Um, we finally got back to it, and, 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 and we, we got to camp. It's late. Everybody's asleep. It's, if you've never been to Dead Valley, let, let me just describe it. It's a valley, and everything's dead. <laughs> there's nothing out there. There's, you got no reception, no Wi-Fi. There's no light. And so we're driving around the camps trying to find where the Kalamazoo people, we were hoping we'd see like the 12 tribes of Israel just spread out. But you can't see. And so as we get to one campsite, we notice there's like a little light in the middle. And we're like, oh, okay, why don't we ask that person to see by any chance during the day they, they saw hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, with a smile, oh, everybody nice, you know. And as I approach this person, I, I, I realize that he's wearing a headlamp. He's sitting in, in a chair. It's, again, it's late at night, and he's reading Backpacking Magazine. And I'm like, Nathan? He's like, hey, 
we've been waiting for you. I'm like, you and who else? He's like, no, it's just me. He said, I set up your tent. I put the sleeping bag. Everything's ready for you guys. You can just go to sleep. Man, this is a guy who's been through medical school, and he's been studying seven days or six days a, a week. Uh, he should have gone to sleep early, but he was waiting for us. Have you ever experienced that feeling? When someone goes ahead of you to make things right, set up camp, oh, it touches you, inspires you. There's a passage of Scripture that I love. This is where I got my inspiration for the title. Deuteronomy 31.8. It says, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, as we get into the text, we have worship, we have sing-along, we have fellowship. Now we are just waiting for that message so we can go home. Thank you for listening. Thank you for granting our prayer requests. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So Pastor John invited me to speak. I was really excited. I was really honored. You know, I know it's a big deal for, for Cali Mesa. You know, I, I know they always get the top speakers in the area. And I just figured they had run out of top speakers, so they called me up. And I'm like, yeah, Division 2 right here, baby. So we're ready. We're ready. We're ready to step up. And then... Uh, you know, we were on, I told my wife, you know, this is, this is, this is big, you know, I'm going back to the church, this is, we're going to see friends and family. A week later, Pastor John sends me the topic and the text that we're supposed to cover. And I told my wife, oh man, I don't think he likes me. <laughs> I think there's some things there that we never fixed before I left, man. He, he assigned me Revelations, Revelations chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. Who preaches on that besides Dr. Pauline? No one. No one. But John's like, it's going to be great, man. Can't wait to see you. He convinced me. He's like, I take you for coffee, which you never did. We'll talk. So, so yeah, I, you know, I sign up and I'm ready. And, man, for weeks I'm looking at the text and I'm like, Whoa, what do we have here? And then I realized that the speakers after me, second and third week, they're following up with the second and the third angel's message. And I'm saying, oh, they're in trouble. At least I got the first angel's message. Listen, it's not that bad. I believe there's something for us this morning that we can take home. Um, and we're just going to break it down um, verse by verse and, and see what we can take home. Let's read it, Revelations chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. I almost want to pray again. See if we get a mess. Whew, it's heavy stuff. We'll start with the first word, then. We're obviously in the middle of the book, so, so the writer is transitioning. He has seen a lot. He's written a lot. And perhaps in your own time, you can read it, verse, chapter 1 through 14. 
Then I saw another angel. I. Who is that referring to? The writer is John. If you go back to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, he's going to tell us, chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, to his servant, John. John is writing. He's seen so much. Chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel. John. What has happened with John? John was one of the youngest disciples hanging out with Jesus. He was a fisherman. He loved to do the family business until he met Jesus. Somehow when you met Jesus, I have to warn you, your life will not be the same. And so when he met Jesus, he had to leave everything behind, the business, the family, and he got to hang out with Jesus. Not only did he got to hang out with Jesus, he got to hear Jesus. Man, he had his private tutor on the kingdom of God for more than three years. You can't, you, you, wow. I wish I had that opportunity. That's why the, the Gospel of John is one of my favorites. He writes so beautifully because he experienced the Son of God. After, after Jesus left, um, he was so touched. He was so changed. He was inspired to continue teaching about the kingdom of God. And scholars tell us that for 60 Plus years, he had been planting churches in Asia Minor, where now is Turkey. He, he was in Ephesus, and again, in other places, he was planting churches, preaching the gospel. But now he's here. Why is he here? Well, verse 9, we notice on his Facebook status, something changed. He's checking in. Not at Ephesus. He's checking in in Patmos. Verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimonies of Jesus. I know you're thinking an island sounds good about now, right? Get haystacks, then you plan your trip to Hawaii or the Caribbean. Just an island inspires you to relax. You're thinking of the water, the sand. You're perhaps thinking about drinking coconut juice. Perhaps you're thinking of massage, maybe playing golf. But this is not that kind of island. This is, this is, this is a place where there's nothing, absolutely nothing. I, I, I had the privilege of going. I was so excited to go there. And when I get there, I'm like, ah, let's go back. There's really nothing. People just go because it's mentioned here and because there was the revelations of Jesus Christ in this place so people want to see. And there are tourist guides right now that will take you to different places. They take you to this cave on top of the mountain where they claim John was sitting down when he heard this message. But we really don't know. There's nothing. Save your money. Go to Hawaii instead. Uh, I mean, the island of Patmos is too far. And again, you have to remember, he's already 90 years old. 
He's missing the comfort of his TV, his couch, his friends. Man, there's not even a Starbucks nearby where he can hang out. And not only that, according to tradition, the emperor had put him on a big container of boiling oil. Somehow he survived, and then he was shipped to the island of Patmos as a punishment. So now remember, if you're in the medical field, imagine his skin, imagine the pain that he's carrying through, 90 years old, away from his family. He's suffering. He's giving his best years teaching the kingdom of God. And this is what he gets. Perhaps you had asked yourself, is this it, God? Is this all we get? Luckily, that's not what he gets. The Bible says that he got a revelation. God did a snapshot on what is to come. And he said, listen, I am, I'm going to summarize the next 20 plus chapters. We don't have the time. He said, listen, I know what you're going through, not just you, but the church and the churches and the people who are coming. Listen, I'm working my way. Eventually, everything will be sorted out. And at the end, God wins. If you're in that situation, you have to understand that God is ahead of us all the time. That is the theme of the Bible. You're looking at your struggles, at your challenges, at your illness, and you're saying, this is it. I'm here to remind you that God is ahead of us. And just like in the book of Revelations, he's giving you the message that he is working in your behalf to make things right. And at the end, God wins and you win. Let's go back to chapter 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel. Let's pause for a moment. There's four, four sections that I want to break down from these two passages. The first one, there's a reference to a messenger. Angel, well, many commentaries suggest it's a heavenly being. Some traditions like the Adventist tradition believe that it represents the church carrying this message. You have to understand that throughout time, God is communicating through humanity. And he uses many, many methods. He uses many means. And he loves to use human beings. Don't you love it? It might be imperfect. You might not have it all together. But that's what God loves to do. So he uses heavenly beings, he uses people, good people, and sometimes not so good, but he is still accomplishing his goal, remember, because he's always ahead of us. The Bible says there was a messenger, there was another angel flying in mid-air, another messenger. Sometimes we think we are not the right person to do or to carry that message. If you look at the history of the Christian church, we have made mistakes, many mistakes. But God uses even this perfect, imperfect institution to make a difference in this world. All he requires is that we surround ourselves to him, that we give everything we have to him, and he will carry us through. In the book, The Joy of the Gospel, the author says, it is important to know that the first word 
The true initiative, the true activity comes from God and only by inserting ourselves into the divine initiative, only begging for this divine initiative, shall we too be able to become with him and in him evangelizers. Only through him. John knew this. He spent the time with him and for the next 60 years, he wanted to be an evangelist. This principle of the primacy of grace must be a beacon which constantly illuminates our reflection on evangelization. There's a messenger carrying something important. This morning, I believe this messenger is us. This book was written for the end of times and many, many messengers have come. Now it's our turn to carry this message. Let's keep reading. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel. It does not matter how long ago or who has carried this message. It's still the same message, eternal gospel. The message is not changing. Maybe the strategy, maybe the people, but the message continues to be the same, gospel. And we got so accustomed to the word gospel that we already lost the meaning. The true meaning is good news. Sometimes we speak about everything except good news. So if we're not speaking good news, maybe we need to reconsider then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel. You see, the word gospel was, was borrowed from Jesus. It's actually an imperial terminology applied to the Romans. Every time they would go to a new town and they would conquer, you know, even though the people would lose and would feel conquered, they would still be happy and they would celebrate. They somehow will celebrate the good news, the gospel. Because now there will be roads, there will be education, there will be arts and literature. There will be great things that they did not have. So, so when the Romans were around, you know, they borrow or they use the word gospel. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I have something better than what you guys have. I have the kingdom of God. And that's how he began to introduce the word gospel. The Bible says that at the end of times, there will be a messenger carrying an eternal gospel. Good news. If we're not preaching good news, maybe we need to reconsider. In the news, sometimes uh, we see all these bad things. We'd rather turn them off and change it or ignore them. Sister White says, the gospel is a message of peace. Christianity is a system which received and obeyed would spread peace, harmony, and happiness throughout the earth. The religion of Christ will unite in brotherhood all who accept its teachings. It was the mission of Jesus to reconcile men to God and to one another. The gospel is a message of peace. It's something good. It should bring good news. If we're not doing that as a church, if we're not doing that as individuals, then we need to reconsider. John is seeing this angel, this messenger, carrying with the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth. Talk about the messenger. We talk about the message. Now let's talk about the results. 
This eternal gospel is to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. What does that mean? That the gospel will be all over the world, meaning the family of God will continue to grow, and the family of God obviously is going to look different because we're all different. We have this idea that the church or the family of God should be a melting pot. No. The only thing we should be melting would be our sins in the blood of Jesus. We should not melt our personalities, our identities, our culture. That has been given to us by God. It's in our DNA. We are created in God's image. So we need to respect the fact that we're different, that we look different, that we talk different, that sometimes we think different. And we may see things from a different angle, even God. God is so big that sometimes we can't, we can't see it from, from every angle. So we need help. Somebody in that corner can help me out. Somebody in this side can help me out. And we can put it together. When the gospel is spread out around the world, you have to be prepared to see a little bit of diversity. I remember my first church. There was a family who was, who was uh, so on fire for God. And they started this ministry in, in San Bernardino. You know, their strategy first was to, to just pick up trash. And for weeks, we were picking up trash. Then the neighborhood began to look at us a little bit different. They were kind of skeptical. What, what are these guys doing? Then we moved from trash to picking up weeds and, and, and just cutting trees that were, that were not, you know, that they didn't look good. And I remember in particular, we were next to a, a drug dealer's house. And, and the drug dealer, I don't know if he was suspicious or he was uh, impressed, but he bought us all ice cream. It's like the whole church is like working, and then the drug dealer goes and stops uh, one of the, you know, the cars that are selling ice cream, and he pays for everyone. We, we spend weeks, weeks there. The kids begin to come out. We begin to tutor them. Again, this was happening on Saturday afternoon. And then by then, we were busy. The kids begin to ask about church. Hey, where do you guys go? Oh, oh is that where you guys go? Little Melinda? Oh, Okay. We want to come. And then suddenly they begin to come, and they look different, and they talk different, and they dress different, and they don't know the culture. They don't know how we do things because we have a way of doing things. <laughs> and then the board began to call the pastors and some of the leaders of the ministry, and they begin to complain, listen, uh, we, we don't like what's going on. It's beginning to change the way we look and we do things. When you preach the gospel, you're recruiting God's family, and God's family looks so different. You just have to embrace diversity. If you're not ready to do that, you're not ready for heaven. And maybe it's time that the church steps forward and begins to say, the story of creation is not for theologians and scientists to fight but it's for us to understand that we are created in the image of God. Each of us may look different, but we still carry in the DNA God. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Wow. Wow. I mentioned to you that um, 
the family of Christ should not be a melting pot. In his book, Fernando Ortiz, in his book, Cuban Counterpoint, he talks about a Cuban dish. I know I'm talking about food when you're really hungry. There's a Cuban dish it's called ajiaco, A-J-I-C-O, ajiaco. He used this dish, Cuban dish, to describe the richness and diversity of the island of Cuba. He says, ajiaco is, is, is a soup made from a variety of roots. It started with the indigenous bringing roots like corn, potato, and yuca, and then continued with Europeans adding squash and spoons. <laughs> Chinese with oriental spices and Africans with yam. If you put it together, it's, it's a really good soup. It's vegetarian. <laughs> Ortiz says, in this bowl, every ingredient contributes their unique flavor and reaches each other without losing their identity. In the same way, when it comes to the body of Christ, it's good to be and to look and to think a little different. We're shaped by our surroundings. We're shaped by our environments. We're shaped by our traditions. The family of God looks different. If we're going to preach the gospel around the world, we got to get used to diversity. Verse 7, we talk about the messenger, the message, and the results, how things are going to look. Then John finished with this. He said in a loud voice, referring to the angel, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the spring of water. As soon as we see the word fear, we're... A little hesitant because we love God, but, you know, we don't like the word fear. First of all, you have to understand what has taken place. Chapter 11, 12, 13. It's talking about a power, a religious power that using politics and, and the economy to, to, to oppress God's people and to force them to worship this other power. So, so there's some tension already there. And God hasn't said much. Until he gets to chapter 14, and it's almost like he grabs the microphone. And remember, God is always ahead of things. So he's about to disclose his plan. And he's saying, fear God. No, no, don't fear this power. Don't fear this, this, these people who are trying to get you and oppress you and force you to do things. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Again, judgment, we, we're always concerned. Daniel chapter 7, verse 22, the judgment is in favor of the saints. You don't have to worry about it. What God is trying to say is the time is coming to an end. God's people have suffered enough. I'm about to execute my master plan. It's time for us to celebrate the win. Enough suffering, enough oppression. It's time for God's people to reunite. Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Perhaps a better word to use instead of fear is be in awe. A better word, again, connected to the Greek is be in awe. So if you put it in there and you insert it, it's going to make sense. Be in awe and give him glory because the hour of his judgment is come. When you know what he's about to do, when you understand that he is for you, that he's making things 
work together for good to those who love God, then you understand this passage and you're in awe. And yeah, you want to give him glory. And you'll be like the rest of the people in the Revelation saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. The last part, he says, worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. As we think about our mission as a church, as we think about our mission as individuals, you know, we're messengers, we're carrying this eternal gospel, and and we know we're going to go out into the world, make a difference, and sometimes the world is just across the street from us, sometimes just across the table or next to us in our home, sometimes across the country or across the world, whatever you want to take it. When we understand our mission, we also have to understand God's approach to dealing with his people. So often we make the mistake of coming very judgmental. We got it right. You don't, but let me teach you. Um, One of my favorite authors, Professor Nelson Maldonado Torres, in his article, Religion, Conquest, and Race, he writes about how the church 500 years ago made a crucial mistake in which we're still paying, not just as a church, but as a society. We begin to categorize people based on how they worship. So we had Christians who had the true religion. And then we had Jews and Muslims who had, according to the church 500 years ago, a false religion. And then we had, as we begin to discover, as as the Europeans begin to discover, we have people in Africa and different parts of Asia and the Americas who had no religion. And it's one thing to say, well, it's just a category. It's just a way to know who's who. That's one thing. It's another thing when you begin to act on those categories. The people who had a false religion had to be eliminated. The people who had no religion, well, they were not really humans because we're not sure if they have a soul. So you can do as you please. 500 years ago, we made that mistake. We can't do it again. We have to understand how God sees his people. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is the attitude. That is the approach we have to take. We need to remember that God is ahead, not only working in his master plan, but also working for people to get to know him. And even in places where the church has not reached or the, pe- or the church and the people have made mistakes, God is still working because he wants everyone to be saved. Those are good news for you, for your kids, for my family, for the people around the world. I'm introducing you to a lot of the authors that I used to read, but... Um, Bernal Diaz, he was a Spanish conquistador who uh, went on a, lot, on a lot of missions with Hernán Cortés. Hernán Cortés is credited of bringing the Aztec Empire to his feet. But uh, Bernal Diaz, he, he recorded in 1921 a conversation that Hernán Cortés had with the Aztec Emperor. Before the destruction, he's trying to, trying to convince him to convert to Christianity. And, and this is what Diaz says. He said he carefully explained the story of creation and how the world came to be. 
He said to him, all of us are brothers. We are the children of one mother and father called Adam and Eve. The emperor Moctezuma replied, I heard about three gods and a cross. And he said, regarding the creation of the world, we have held the same belief for many ages prior to your arrival. Perhaps it's not the same way we understand it, but you can't forget that God is working in behalf of his people to get him home. So things may look different, and this is where I'm saying we need to be ready for diversity. And the desire of ages, I love this. As you think of the Christmas story, as you think of uh, the wise men, how do they find out Jesus, Jesus was being born? Even the, even the religious the scholars who, who knew prophecy, they, they didn't know. Jesus was being born, and yet people from far away who were considered, quote-unquote, pagans came to that realization that there was a Redeemer being born in Bethlehem, and they came from far away. The Desire of Ages says these beautiful words, the light of God is ever shining amid the darkness of the hiddenness. As these wise men study the staring heavens and saw to phantom the mystic, the mystery hidden in their paths, they behold the glory of the Creator. Seeking more knowledge, they turn to the Hebrew Scripture. In their own lands were treasure, prophetic writings that predicted the coming of a divine teacher. Perhaps it didn't look the same way it looks to us. But in their own knowledge, they came and worshiped the Redeemer. Church, as we talk about the first angel's message, we have to remember that it was written a long time ago. But as a reminder to us that we were the ones carrying this message forward. You might be looking at yourself and saying, oh, I I don't have the training. I don't have the time. But God can still use you. Regardless of where you are, stay-at-home mom, in a business, in the classroom, in the clinic. John is telling us he saw a messenger carrying the eternal gospel. Church, I don't know about you, but uh, as I look around, I don't see a lot of hope with uh, what some politicians propose. I don't see a lot of hope with some of the plans that are trying to put together to, to solve the economy. The only hope I see is in Jesus. And if we're to go home, we need to carry the mission. The three angels' message is, is for us. We talk about the messenger. We talk about the message. Let's be ready for the results. And also, let's remember the approach. Strip me of my insight 
insecurities and clothe me in your grace I stand before you Lord my God desiring to reflect your face for I am but a broken child longing for your peace so take my soul, your blank canvas, make me your masterpiece. Break my will, mold my mind, shape my soul to your design. hear my prayer I am yours I am yours Lord let me be be my strength. I'll hide your word inside my heart so you can light my way. Your love is stronger than the pain that I have known before. So sculpt my heart to look like yours, the
Let's pray. God, as we open the book of Revelation, we get a snapshot of your master plan. We know that at the end you win. But as we go through this process, you're inviting us to be part of the plan of salvation by asking us to share what we know, what we have have experienced, just like John did for 60 years. God, I, I know sometimes you have to shape us and mold us, like the song says, so we can get a get rid of some of our insecurities, even our biases, as we begin to understand that the family of God is much bigger than we are. God, let's wrap this thing up. Let's go home. Thank you. Amen.